0: Hey, a little bit about redemption. We are one church with multiple congregations. Uh, So you have here in Tempe and we have six other congregations throughout the valley as well as in Flagstaff. Uh, We believe that all of life is all for Jesus and therefore we seek to make disciples in response to that truth. Um, The best way that we do this is in Sunday services as well as in redemption communities. And redemption communities are a smaller gathering of people who meet in various places and various times throughout the week to encourage one another in God's word. Um, if you are not in a redemption community and you are looking to be in one, the best thing you could do is take the information card that's in the seat in front of you, uh, fill out your name, email address, and you can drop those off in the offering boxes which are located in the back by the doors, Or you can stop by the Connect desk on your way out and you can hand it to one of our volunteers there and they will be able to get that to the right people and they will get an email and we'll get you connected into a redemption community. Um, Today, this Sunday, is the first Sunday of the month and so we have Outward Focus Sunday. And so Outward Focus Sundays, we take generally a longer time to talk about things in which we were doing outside of ourselves. I mean, things we were doing outside of Redemption Tempe, organizations and ministries that we're partnering with throughout the city, as well as throughout the country. And so the first thing that I want to be able to highlight today is our involvement with China. Um, About a year and a half ago, as elders, we believed that we wanted to have a long existing relationship with ministry in China. And therefore, we have ministry that's happening here with international students that are at ASU that are from China, as well as we have one person who is in China for um, full-time teaching with an organization that we partner with called ELIC. And what ELIC does is that they equip people that follow Christ in America um, to go and teach in the universities in China, and they teach English there. And so we have a girl, Megan, she's over there now. And what we are doing this summer is offering an opportunity for you to go in an um, organization called Engage that partners with ELIC. And what Engage is is five weeks where you will be in China you will be seeing what God is doing in China. You will be involving with the Christians that are there. You will also be able to witness God's activity of what's happening through the ministries, the churches, as well as ELIC there. And so if you are thinking about this or you are somewhat interested in either giving and donating towards it, if you are interested in going yourself, I suggest that you contact Ryan Arneson, whose information is here on the screen, Ryan ryanarneson at redemptionaz.com. Or you could just take that information card in front of you and you can fill that out um, and just put China and we'll get the information you need. That's five weeks. So most likely, that's probably going to be one of our college students or a few of our college students going because I don't know anybody else who could just take five weeks off. Um, if you can and you're not a college student, by all means, we'd love to have you go. Um, Ryan Arneson will be leading a team over there as well as a few other people here from Redemption Tempe. And so again, if you want information about that, Contact Ryan. Uh, The next thing that I have is that because today is the first week of the month, the first Sunday of the month, we have our M25 that we're starting today. And M25 is taken from Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And this is the tangible ministry of the church in response to the gospel. And so what we've been able to do is partner with the Real Vista Center, which is here locally in Tempe, that helps supplies and provides resources for the homeless people in our community. And so last week we handed out a flyer with a bunch of items. And I had you guys repeat, when are you supposed to bring this? And you guys said, next week. And then half of you said, hey, will those trash cans be here later tonight? Because I forgot, all right? That's totally fine. They will be here tonight, and so many of you have dropped off your items, but you can come back later at the 5 o'clock as well as the 7 o'clock and be able to uh, bring those items for them. We will do this every month, and so you'll have another opportunity. Don't hear me say we will do this every month so I won't bring anything back tonight, okay? We will do this every month, and I will bring something back tonight is what you heard me say. Um, Lastly, last week, if you were not here, we took a week off of Romans, and we talked about prayer and fasting. And there was a challenge that we had for a whole congregation for 40 days, which begins this Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, and the beginning of Lent, which lasts for 40 days all the way up until Easter. For 40 days is that we would spend time praying and we would spend time fasting. And so what we said is one day a week we would fast, whether that was 24 hours that day or you fasted from a couple meals, that you would fast that day and you would spend that time in prayer and and asking God to show forth his favor. And to reveal himself in deeper ways. Another thing we said is that we would pray an hour a day. It doesn't necessarily mean it need to be an hour straight, but you would pray an hour a day, however you want to break that prayer out, that you would do that. And we said, we want to do that for 40 days. And so on your way out, what the guys put together here is kind of a bookmark that says 40 days. Um, and it has some scripture here. And on the back, every day there is a particular topic in which you could pray for. And what you'll notice is Sunday is not on here, is because we will gather together on Sundays and we will pray and we're going to spend um, a significant amount of time in our service praying. And, and some of you, it's going to make you uncomfortable, but we're totally okay with that um, and, because we're, we're just going to pray. And we, we really, really, really um, want to ask God to show forth his favor and that we would deepen our understanding and awareness of him, not only individually, but as a whole body, that we begin to look more and more like Christ. And so um, grab one of these on your way out. Um, lastly is that there is a board out there and a sign-up sheet. And one of the things that the community, communities guys have started is a 2440. And 2440 is 24 hours a day for 40 days that someone will be praying for our church. And so you can go sign up for an hour there. And so if you sign up on that sheet, you put down, I'm going to pray this particular day from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. Sorry, I snuck that in. Someone needs to pray from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. You set your alarm. You wake up. You, you pray. You sign your name down there. Now, if you sign your name down there, have someone remind you or you remind yourself because we just don't want names on a box. <laughs> we actually want people to pray for us during that time. And so that sign-up sheet is out there. Um, and so you'll pick up your bookmark. You'll have the 24 prayer. Make sure you sign up. The, I think the, the 9 o'clock service had a lot of people sign up. You guys are better than them, so I expect for you guys to have a lot more. And um, it's true. And then, and then at the th- right here, number three, is the church building. These doors will be open every day during this season starting on Wednesday from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and those are a couple hours that you can come in and pray. Um, There will be at least one elder here would love to pray for you if you have needs and things that you want to uh, have us pray for you, Um, and then you can go off to work, and so you can come here, pray, and then go off to work, and so that's that's all going to be available online. There'll be resources that will be available online. Every single day, there's going to be a blog updating on us on where we are and providing valuable resources for you. The biggest thing is that we would not do this as a merit, of badge of honor, or look at us, but we would say, God, would you, would you begin to refine us? Uh, would you begin to renew us? That we would have a deeper desire uh, for who God is. And so, again, that starts this Wednesday. Whew, that's all I have for a time of announcements. Um, if you guys have your Bible, why don't you meet me in Romans chapter 8? I'm going to preach equally as long as my announcements today. So get ready. Um, go to the bathroom later. Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, meet me in Romans chapter 8. If you don't, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's word. Romans chapter 8, we're looking at verses 26, 27, and 28. Romans chapter 8. As you turn there, let me kind of just catch us up to speed to where we've been. Romans chapter 8 has been the life of the Spirit in the Christian. Um, we, We begin talking about how the Spirit gives us new life and reminds us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We begin to see how the Spirit himself is the one that gives us strength to put to death the deeds of our body in sin. The Spirit reminds us that we are sons of God, that we are adopted and cries out, Abba, Father. The Spirit affirms this adoption in our life. And even in the midst of suffering, the Spirit is there to encourage us. In the midst of of suffering, the Spirit is the one that points us to the hope that we have one day when Jesus Christ will come and rescue and renew his full creation. And what we're going to be able to see today, let me kind of give you the next two weeks. This week is God's activity, so God's redeeming grace in our circumstance, and the next week, God's redeeming grace within our salvation, This week, God's redeeming grace, how God is moving in the midst of our circumstances, primarily our suffering, um, the circumstances, and our weakness. We see what God is doing, and then next week, our salvation. Um, That's what we're going to look at next week is his redeeming grace and our circumstances this week and then salvation next week. So if you're with me, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. I'm actually going to read this week's text as well as next week. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that's this week, his redeeming grace and our circumstances. Next week, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Everybody wants to come to hear, what am I going to do with predestination? I'm probably just going to skip it. (laughs) For those who foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The reason I read both here is because what Paul is beginning to do, he's rounding the corner in Romans chapter 8. And he's speaking the totality of security. Meaning how God is starting, how God is sustaining, and how God is keeping the relationship, this covenantal relationship that he has with each and every one of you who follow his son Jesus. The way I look at it is this is, this is the, the passage of which God begins to flex his muscles and show that how he will outlove us in, in, in spite of our circumstances, how bad they may be, and then next week, even in, in spite of our, our sin, that he will start the relationship and he will conclude it. The week after that, what we'll see is God himself, nothing, he, he makes sure that nothing will separate us from this love. And so Paul has been talking about the Spirit and will continue to talk about the Spirit. But even more so, he shows God's sovereignty, God's providence, and the midst of our life. So, so today, here's what we're asking. The question we're asking is, what does God do in the midst of the midst of our terrible moments, not what do we do. What does God do? Because I believe what Paul is doing is he's peeling back the curtains and saying, this is how God sovereignly works in your life in the midst of your circumstances. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, About five years ago, a little under five years ago, when our five-year-old was about six months old, um, my my wife was uh, cooking and put him in, in this little baby jiggler thing, right? Something that they made, right? And we strapped him in there and he's in there and she's cooking, baby jiggler things going on, and she's, she's, she hears the, right, right, every mom goes, because you've heard that, and somehow, um, he was able to flip this thing over, which it was told that the babies can't do it, but we got a super kid, and so he flips the kid, he flips it over, and falls in his head, so I get a phone call, I'm at work, I'm a youth pastor at this time, my wife calls me, and my wife is not very emotional, and she's, emotional, right, calling and saying, he, he's, he's not speaking, and I'm like, he, he, didn't, he hasn't been speaking yet, he's six months, <laughs> <laughs> he's not talking, <laughs> right, and, and, and then she says, um, he's fallen, he's hit his head, and, and I'm on my way to the hospital, and so I said, I will meet you there, and I just remember getting in the car, and, and, and in that moment, you ever had that kick in the gut moment, you know, I don't know what I'm going to walk into, like, what about that moment, right, like, what is God doing in that moment, Unfortunately, Noah was fine, because he's a part of my DNA, so he's got a big head. Uh, <laughs> so they actually came in and fixed the floor. Um, so. <laughs> and then, not too much longer after that, the hardest day in my, uh, my ministry life. I get a phone call from my mom, and she tells me, hey, something bad has really happened. Um, my kid's father uh, is dead. Um, And I found them in his house. The paramedics are here. The cops are here. I can't go pick them up from school. Can you pick all the kids up from school? They were in junior high and high school. Um, Pick them up. Take the youngest ones home. Take the oldest son who's a senior. And then bring him over to where we are. And by the way, at some point in between them, don't tell the younger kids. Drop them off. And then when you're in the car with the oldest kid and you're driving over here, can you let him know that his father's dead? I'd never talked to this kid before. I'd never had a conversation with him. I really didn't even know the mom. I'm 25, 26 years old, and it was one of those moments for, uh, for this kid, for his brothers and sisters, for his mom, for his family. It's going, okay, not what do I do in that moment. God, what do you, what do, you do in that moment? What is God doing in that moment? Um, one of the hardest days of my life is everyone, you know, I told the story how Noah's fine, he's good, and he's healthy, is my best friend, best man in my wedding, who I've known since I was six years old, sends a text out, hey everybody, we're pregnant, and he's really excited. Nine months later, on the way to the hospital, he's really excited. A few hours later, there's some complications. Two days later, our baby died. And when he calls me, hey, you're the pastor, what's going on right now? No matter what side of the phone call you're on, whether you're the dad in this situation or you're the friend, it's not so much what do I do in that moment. What we need to know is who is God and what is he doing in this moment? Like, how does God come to our aid? Now, Because I don't know your guys' stories and I don't know where you're at right now, is messages like this, the, the one we have today for us, this text is, is what, I, what I usually call tool belt, a tool belt sermon. Meaning some of you are in the midst of suffering right now and you're in the midst of circumstances and you need this now. Like you're going to apply this today. And then some of you, it's coming. I'm not saying if this happens, I'm saying when this happens. That you're gonna have to go back to the scripture and go, I need to know what God is doing behind the scenes. Not necessarily what I need to do because I know how weak I am. I need to go to the almighty, the all-sovereign, the all-powerful, the all-loving and all-knowing and say, what is he doing in this particular moment. That, that may happen for you today or maybe later. I, I had a guy come up to me after the 9 o'clock service and he goes, Man, I just came to this church. I've been here for a couple of weeks and I needed that today. My wife just walked out of me. to move back home and she's never coming back. And I need to know what God does now. Um, and so fortunately we can go to his word and we can see that. And what Paul gives for us now here is uh, two things. One of the things that God does is that he becomes an intercessor for us. That means he stands in in our place, on our behalf, and he prays for us. So God intercedes. And the second part, when we get to Romans 28, is what what we see is God makes not just sense, he makes good out of the messy things in our life. That somehow, in his own power and love and grace, that he makes sense out of the messiness of our life. So first part, he intercedes, he prays for us. Second part is he he gets down and dirty, and he takes the junk of our life, and he makes something good. So verse 26, Paul says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. The, the, the first word, they're likewise. It's a connecting word. Meaning Paul is connecting something that he's already said. I mean, what Paul said, verses 18 to 25, is that there's suffering. And the suffering that we have is nothing compared to the glory that we would have. Meaning suffering is real, and it's not something we invite. It's not something that's good, but it's something that is happening. But it's nothing compared to the glory that we're gonna, we're gonna have. And he says hope sustains us. Verse 24 and 25 he's saying hope is what sustains us and hope is in something that is not yet. Meaning new heavens, new earth, seeing Jesus face to face, not yet. What Paul is talking about now, he's saying likewise in the same way that hope helps you in the not yet, the spirit helps you in the now. Like now, today. The spirit is at work now. He says likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness. So this is, this is the time of the year. Um, January, February, March-ish is when I usually contemplate, am I going to go back to the gym and start working out again and lifting weights, right? This usually happens. And, you know, you usually lift weights because you compare yourself, and as long as most of you guys look like hipsters, I'm buff, right? And so I'm not really really sure if I'm going to ever do this, right? I usually talk myself out of it by March. I feel like the spirit says, no, don't do it, right? And so I go, all right, your will, not mine. (laughs) But what, what, I, what I'll usually do is I'll look back at workouts that I used to do when I was into lifting, just like lifting weights, not just working out, but actually, you know, pumping some iron. And so what I was reading was um, uh, something called negative uh, rep training. And we used to do this, in, do this in college. And what it is is you put a ton of weight on the, on the bar, more weight than you can actually lift, which I know doesn't make sense. It's like, why would you put more weight on the bar that you can't lift? Um, that's the hint of the word negative. I know some of you guys went to U of A. I had to explain that. And so, so there, there is, what, it's been a while, it's been a while, it's been like months, that just, it's been months. <laughs> so anyways, you put all this weight on the bar um, and, and, and you have a spotter. Now here's the thing. Um, it's not about how much weight is on the bar. And it's not about your ability to lift it. Clearly it's more than what you can lift. So it's not about the weight or how much it is, it's not about your ability to lift it, it's all about the spotter that you choose. And if you and you guys have ever worked out and you've been at the gym before you, and you've needed a spotter, there's certain people you looked at and said, no. Um, <laughs> could there be somebody else, right? And so I try to think of a visual. So we have two pastors on staff. And um, one pastor, we have more than two, but these particular two. We have Jason Raber, who's 6'3", 100 pounds. <laughs> right? And we have Jim Mullins, who's six foot, more than 100 pounds. Right? <laughs> and so if I'm in the gym, I love Jason. Jason's a great guy. He's really funny. I'm not picking Jason, right? If I got this much weight, I'm looking at Jason. I'm like, no, dude, no, no, Knuckles, right? But I will go to Jim because Jim looks like someone who can lift weights. It doesn't matter how much weight I have in the bar or my ability to lift it. It matters a spotter. When it comes to life, life in itself is one giant negative rep. It's weightier than you. You cannot live this life trusting in your ability to lift. And there are certain people that have more weight on the plate than others. But regardless, it's more than what you can lift. And sometimes we're looking around looking for other things to be able to spot us good things that we've made main things, and they can't do it. The Bible in itself reveals to us a God that the very essence of his love for us, the very essence of grace, it is God's ability and desire to reach down into our life and lift us up. The very essence of his love, the very essence of his grace, is that his ability for us, no matter how heavy the weight is, that his all-powerful love for us is that he reaches down and he lifts it up for our good. He becomes a spotter. What Paul is saying here in the beginning of this verse, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Every single one of us are weak in an area of our life. Every single one of us are weak in particular areas of our life. There's sin areas of your life that you are really weak in. There's some areas that you, you have a hold on. There's some areas you, you, you're weak in. You know that particular thing that you, you, you've been trying to, to kill and to, to get a hold of for a while, and it just hasn't been able to happen? I was talking to Jim the other day, um, just, about, just confessing, and I'm like, you know what? The Bible is very clear. Where words are many, sin is inevitable. And I talk twice as much than anybody I know. And the thing about it is we laugh, right? It's hard for me. Some of you introverts are like, just stop talking. I can't. <laughs> like, I, I, need, I need help. It's a weakness. We, we, we all have weaknesses. Some of them are way darker than that. Um, we have weakness in the way that we relate to our spouse. We have weaknesses as we relate to Jesus in our walk with him. We have weaknesses. It's not that we have weaknesses that's the problem. It's that we don't acknowledge them. Our cultural narrative is we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. I got this, right? That's I got this. And this is not just something as adults, this is kids. All you parents who have kids who can talk now, what's the first thing? They, I got it. I don't need your help. I don't need this. And I was like, dude, move out. If you're there already, we're with you, bro. <laughs> Here's a bike. <laughs> Look, we, 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 we all have weaknesses. Weaknesses is, is not a lack of confidence per se. It's just a lack of confidence in your own ability. And that's, a good, that's a good place. Is that you begin not to trust in yourself, but you begin to trust in God. The way Paul talks about in Corinthians, he says that there was this thorn in his flesh, and he prayed to God, get rid of it. You prayed to God, get rid of it. It was this weakness. And then God spoke to him and said, no, no, no. I'm not getting rid of it because it is through this weakness that my grace is made sufficient and my power is made known. You want the grace of God to work in your life? Confess your weakness. Point out your weakness. And it's not just sin. Sometimes it's in your thinking. Sometimes it's in your doubts. Whatever it may be, there's, a, there's, there's a, an area of weakness that if we would just step out of the way and say, Lord, here it is, God's spirit begins to work. And God, God begins to show forth his power and manifest his power within us. Many of us are trying to hold it ourselves. Years ago, when again, when I did work out, um, there was a friend of mine who put this crazy amount of weight on the bar. And I said, did you want me to spot you? And he goes, no, no, I got it. it. I'm cool. You know how college is. I'm cool, dog. I got it. I'm like, all right. So I walk away, and all I hear is, help. (laughs) Help. And the bar... (laughs) The bar is on his neck, which is extremely dangerous, right? And so we, we go over there, and I'm trying to pick it up, and I, ca- I can't get it up. I, I, I can't get the, like, I'm trying to curl. I try to do it one-handed. And then finally, another, another teammate came, and we finally got the weight off, and he's, like, trying to breathe. He's like, Ugh, uh, And I'm like, oh, I thought you were all good, tough guy, right? <laughs> like, we laugh at that, but that's a picture. That's a picture. Listen to me. Everyone in this room, hear me. Everyone in this room, when you do not trust in Jesus, what you're saying to God is, I'm good. The issue in this world is not that people don't believe God. People don't follow Jesus. People believe in a God. We make up who he is and what he can do and what he's not like, and I don't believe in a God that would. We, we have a God, but following Jesus is, is acknowledging weakness. It's how you become a Christian. It's saying, God, I can't, and God does. It's how you grow as a Christian. God, I can't in this area, and God does. At the very essence of his love is his ability to reach down and to lift us up when we're weak. And we acknowledge that weakness. Many of us are saying, God, I I got this. And eventually, hear me, eventually, life's going to choke you out. And you're going to be gasping for air. Fortunately, what we have is a God of the Bible who enters in this world and says, I will spot. I will enter in. I will come in into your weakness. Paul says, in our weakness, God helps us. He helps us. If, If you continue here in verse 26, it says this. This is a particular way which he helps. For we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. with groanings too deep for words. Um, when, when I first became a Christian, verses 26 all the way to verse 30, these are were, these were verses that absolutely floored me. For whatever reason, I thought, how the Spirit prays for us? Like, that's amazing. Like, you have the Spirit helping us and praying for us, so interceding. And to be an intercessor is that you stand in the gap for somebody else, that you pray on behalf of somebody else. During this time of prayer and fasting, I pray that you would pick three people, people—people, who, someone who knows Jesus, someone whose marriage is probably on the rocks, and then someone who's just struggling in their walk with Jesus or doesn't know Jesus, and you would just intercede for them, just intercede. Next week, when we start talking about predestination, that everybody gets tripped all over, and, and, and someone's going to say, okay, did God, did God choose me? Ricardo, did, did God choose you, or are you a Christian because your mom prayed for you? You know what I'm going to say? Yes right? I mean, honestly, I just don't think you can separate that. My mom has stood in the gap for me for years and years and years and years. And, and then God says, keep going because this one needs more help. And so years and years and years, right? And so what now we have, this, we see in the scripture, the spirit does. And I want to connect a couple of things here, how God labors in prayers. I want to just a picture of God laboring in prayer. That prayer, oftentimes, we see is this really cute image, right? And it's our hands together. It's a cute little kid with long eyelashes. Lord, would you? Right? And the picture that I feel like the Bible gives us is always, like, it is, that's why they call it prayer warriors. Like, it is something that, is, that you labor in. So, in the beginning of 26, when it says the Spirit helps us and then the Spirit intercedes, is that word help, um, helps us, is only used one at a time in the New Testament. And it's in Luke chapter 10, oh, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, 10 verse 40. And the the context there is there's Jesus, there's Mary, and there's Martha. They're sisters. Martha is busy and busy and busy, and then Mary's lazy and just talking to Jesus. Martha's getting all the work done. She's doing everything. And finally, Martha says, Jesus, can you tell my lazy sister? It doesn't say that in the Greek. But she goes, can you tell my lazy sister to help me? Like there's a burden that I'm carrying that if she would just help, it would be a lot better. Paul's saying... This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit comes in and lifts. The Spirit helps. Doesn't take away the pain. The Spirit doesn't relieve the weight. He helps. The Spirit doesn't take weight off. No, He helps. He lifts. There's a burden there. The prayer in itself is something that the Spirit does and labors in. And He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. You you know that feeling you get when someone tells you they're praying for you and you believe that they will? How comforting that could be? Like, we've all had moments where someone's like, Oh, really? I'm sorry to hear that. I'm going to pray for you. And you know them, you're like, No, you're not. I'm screwed. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But then you have people that you go, Oh, that person's praying for me? Oh, yeah. I I share this all the time about my mom. One, um, because I hope that we would do this for our kids, is that especially Saturday mornings, because my mom woke up and went to school before, went to work before we, we got up. But on Saturday mornings, we'd wake up, and my mom would be in her room praying for all three of us my brother, my sister, and myself. And, and, um, and it was always, it was just, just what it was. I mean, literally, she'd be in there, doors locked. She always locked the door. Like, you could not enter in on her time with the Lord, right? And to my, as best as I know, like, Jesus was actually in there because the lights were coming out of the deal. It was just amazing, Right? <laughs> And you'd always just hear in there praying, and my mom was so passionate praying, God, Father God, Father God, right? And, she, and then you would hear, you would hear, like, my, my sister's name, and every once in a while, I'd just kind of sit there and go, all right, my sister, my brother, and then she'd finally say my name, my, my middle name is Sean, my family calls me Sean, which is a whole other long story, um, and, and she'd finally say my name, and she'd pray about some things, and pray for some things, and then I'd walk out going, like, yes, I'm good to go, right? I could do any sin I want to do today, because I know my mom's praying for me, right? No, I, I, I really felt comforted, like, if my mom... When she called me in college and said, hey, just to let you know I'm praying for you, even though I didn't have that faith in God, it was like, she did, she did. We have that comfort. And, and I, I know I keep bringing them up, but the person in my life now like that is Jim Mullins. You guys know Jim, he does all the all of life interviews. Jim when Jim prays guys like he prays he's always walking around praying and he prays poetically and and I like in just words that somehow he's like oh I'm gonna pray for the cedars of Lebanon as you build your house and Jesus comes in and makes his home in your heart and and then sings a song and I think that (laughs) when he does that I God's like oh that was I'm gonna answer that one like I just feel like when Jim when Jim prays I'm like yes Jim's praying for me now, am I saying that, that God loves Jim more than anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> so there, there, there is a sense that when somebody, guys, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> There's there a sense that, that when, we, when we hear somebody's praying for it, it brings us a great deal of comfort. And um, I love my mom and I love Jim, but they're not God. When, when Paul says, you get that phone call? You get that test result, your spouse sends you down and says I need to talk to you, your phone rings. You you you, <laughs> <laughs> you should never do that, embarrasses people, they probably will never come back. You get that phone call? You you, you wanna know that someone's praying for you. But it's even more encouraging to know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. That the Holy Spirit is saying, I, I got this, and I'm going to enter in, and I'm going to carry the weight, and I'm going to pray, and, and, and I'm going to pray hard. And not only is the Spirit going to pray hard, the Spirit's going to pray a perfect prayer. I don't know if we've ever prayed a perfect prayer. We don't know. But we know that the Spirit does. Re- read verse 27 with me. And it says that he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit." Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now when it says he who searches the heart, he's talking about God the Father. Who searches our heart, who knows the inside. And usually when you hear that, it's talking about sin. Like how he knows what's in your life. But right here, he's talking about he knows your longings. He knows when your throat um, wells up and can't speak. And when the spirit has to pray with groanings that words can't even express. Right? Like the spirit is praying so deep in prayers that that the words can't even express. Meaning, there are things and longings and and our beings in in the deep recesses of our souls that we don't even know how to describe, but God who searches our hearts, he knows. And there's this collaborative effort of the Father and the Spirit who's able to, um, the Spirit throw up the prayers of the Father and the Father answers them in ways that we can't even explain and words that we can't even say. They're just only groanings that we could just say, amen, thank you, thank you they saying the Spirit knows exactly what to pray on our behalf according to the will of God because the Father knows our situation. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. The Spirit of Christ, of those who follow Christ, is in you, who knows the deepness of your being and knows exactly what you need. So hear me. There's nothing in your life that is lacking right now that God doesn't think that you need. Meaning if there's something you're thinking, "I, I think I need this, God is saying, not right now. No matter what it may be. I think I need this. Not right now. If you don't have it, trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. He prays a perfect prayer. And so whenever that circumstance happens, or if you're in that circumstance, you could be comforted by knowing God is interceding for me. God is on my behalf. God knows exactly what I need. And he's going to provide for me in ways that I never could have provided for myself. Amen? You know what it reminds me of? Um, I was watching uh, Undercover Boss the other day. I can't watch shows like this, guys. Like, I'm a sucker for anything that is sad. Um, And so we're watching it, and it's the owner for the Utah Jazz. And he, like, dressed, you know, the whole story, they dress up, and they're undercover, and, and you know, it's a mess. And, um, and then there's this guy who he's working with in concession stand, this kid. And he talks about how in one day he lost his mother, his stepdad, and his little brothers. And he's trying to graduate and go to school. And he doesn't know how he's going to do it. And, and then finally when the boss reveals himself to him and he's talking to him, he goes, I'm the boss. And the kids go, oh, wow, this is amazing. And he goes, I'm going to do something for you. I know you have a need. And I'm going to meet that need. And he says, "I'm going to pay for your college," and, and he just it just he just you know you know I don't want to do it because I'm going to start crying up here, and um and the and, and the kid just looks at him and he just I don't I don't know what to say <laughs> right, and it's just amazing wow you knew exactly what I needed and you provided, now that's only a material blessing but the Spirit knows exactly what his children need, the Father knows exactly what his children need and he meets us, so you could be comforted in that moment um, that he meets us and he prays perfect. Prayers. You know what that means for us? That means when we pray, we don't have to worry about praying perfect prayers. We don't have to worry about how eloquent or how beautiful or how even grammatical (laughs) our prayers sound. God is able to weed it out. The Spirit's already praying perfect. That doesn't mean we don't pray. It means we pray even more, right? I think what we do oftentimes is we pray in percentages. We pray percentage prayers. You know know what I mean? Like you know, like um, take a junior high boy. What a junior high boy loves to do when he gets on the basketball court? Try any shot that he probably will never make, (laughs) right? You ever been around junior high boys like, you know what I'm going to do? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick the ball. It's going to go in the air. It's going to hit the moon, right? (laughs) Go to Jupiter, and it's going to come back. All net, right? And then they just try it. Why not? Right? And they just throw it up there. And then the older we get, it's like, I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to hit it off the glass and I'm just going to just bank shot it, right? Because that's the high percentage. I think the older we get in the Lord, which is ridiculous, we start praying prayers that we know that God's going to answer. Like we look at the weather and go, it's going to be, God, I pray that the sun comes up. Oh! <laughs> you are so faithful. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and it's not about, you know, how big or how small your prayers are, but I think it's interesting that Jesus says, you know, be like a kid. Don't be childish, but pray like that. Like, like you're praying to God. Whatever doesn't need to be there, just take it out. I mean, God, God, God's like, no, no, you're not getting that. Like, you know, like he, and he knows exactly what you need. One writer said it this way, God will always answer the prayers of his children that, and what they ask for. He will always give his children what they ask for or what they would have asked for if they knew more. Meaning God's the all-sovereign one. He knows exactly what you need. And so Paul is saying, in the midst of your circumstance, that that terrible circumstance, not what you need to do, not your ability to lift the bar, but who's spotting you. He here's what God does. God comes in immediately, and he labors in prayer on your behalf. Amen? So so this last verse that we have, verse 28, um, it's kind of Paul transitioning from saying, here's what God does for you in the midst of your circumstance, but now it's, here's what he does with your circumstances. First part, is what he does for you, but now here's what he does with your circumstance. So read me in verse 28, probably one of the more famous verses in all of Romans. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'm going to just break this down real quick. First, verse 28, it says, and we know. There's something we have to know here. There's something Paul assumes that we do know. In fact, my old preacher who used to always um, say this line that he got from meditating this verse, he says, you need to let what you know trump what you feel. Man, that line has helped me so much in my life. How often do you not feel the things of Scripture? (laughs) Never? Oh. Um, How often do you not feel the things of God? He says, let what you know trump what you feel. Whatever that moment is, let what you know trump what you feel. No matter the circumstance, your past, whatever it is, let what you know trump what you feel. He says, and we know that... For those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, here's the promise. This promise is not universal. Oftentimes what we think is we go, oh, all things are going to work the good for everybody. That's not what Paul says here. Like, if I wrote the Bible and I didn't, clearly, um, I would want everything to work out. But I'm not God, and neither are you. And whenever we go against God, God will always win. God says, for those who love him, Here's what we do. We talk to people, and they're in the midst of a a crisis, they're in the midst midst of a circumstance, they're in the midst of a terrible marriage, and know what we tell them? Hey, it's all gonna work out good. Guys, that's not true. It may, but there's no promise. We're not standing on the confidence of God when we say that. It it, it doesn't promise, it's for those who love God, not those who acknowledge God, not those who say that there is a God, those who follow Jesus. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Not, if you love me, good things will happen. He never says that. He says, if you love me, you will be obedient. And so to follow Jesus is looking at God for who he is, loving him for who he is, believing in what his son has done on your behalf. That he's lived the life that you should have lived but could not and died the death that you should have died and you don't have to. That having faith with him is something that begins a relationship that in itself proceeds with you lovingly obeying him as your father and Jesus as your older brother. That, that's what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus as a disciple. And he says, if, if you were there, if you were, if you were th- in this, then this promise is for you. There are, there are people in this room, you've never believed in Jesus. You've known about God, but you've never trusted Jesus. And, and let me tell you, and I said this earlier, life at some point, it may not be happening now, will come down on you. And where will you run? You may not trust in Christ today. You may not trust him tomorrow. Um, And I'm not even telling you, trust in Christ so that life won't come down on you. Life's coming down on all of us. Jesus is not the escape. He's the redeemer. He enters in into our mess, and at the essence of his love, he lifts us up. And it's available for every single person who would trust in him. If you've been on the fence of saying, I'm not really sure, today would be a great day to trust in Jesus. Every day would be a great day to trust in Jesus. If you're already a Christian, it would be a great day again to trust in Jesus. So Paul says, this promise is not universal. It, it's for everybody who loves God, everyone who follows Jesus. And he says, for them, God is going to work all things out. He doesn't say things will work out. <laughs> like over time things are going to no. no. God sovereignly is going to work them out, that God himself is going to get in the midst of our life, and God is going to work those things out. You know what this helps us with? This helps us understand, one, there, there is some side where we try to avoid suffering, we try to explain it away, and that's not good. Or on the other side, um, there are some Christians who go, oh, no, suffering's good. Suffering, no, it's not. Like, never once is it, is it, is it the Bible said we should say, suffering's amazing, I'm glad that happened. no. We don't welcome it and we don't enjoy it. It's the result of it that we rejoice in. It's not the activity in itself, it's the result of it. And so Romans 8:28. what is God doing in Romans 8:28? How does he do this? Uh, growing up, one of the most embarrassing things for me, my brother and my sister and my mom was some of the silly stuff that my dad would do, right? Some of us have dads that do silly things, right, that's just, like, embarrassing. So we grew up in a big, huge apartment complex, and there were two big dumpsters that everybody would take their trash to, right? My dad thoroughly enjoyed dumpster diving, right? <laughs> loved it. If you guys don't know what that is, that's when you jump in the dumpster and you get stuff out of it that you want that wasn't yours. This is other people's trash, right? And so my dad would do that. He loved it. And I'm like, he said, like, come on, come with me. No, come with me. And you know, you got get all aggressive, like, come with me. It's like, dang it, man. And your friends say, what are you doing? Nothing right? It's like, it's like, <laughs> My dad just hop in there, just hop in. No, I don't want to hop in there, there's sour milk in there, there's diapers in there. He goes, yeah, but there might be a TV, right? <laughs> my dad would go in there all the time, and he would get all of this junk, right, out of there, and it was really embarrassing. You know how fathers do it. They say all these lines, like, listen, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? And it's like, yeah, well, one kid who has a dad who dumps her dies, you know, is embarrassing, right? Where, where does that fit in that, in that category? Now, here's what would happen, though. Because my dad was super creative, my dad was super creative and super artistic. He was able to take junk, tables, chairs, TVs, sour milk, whatever, and he was able to take all of this junk and over a period of time on our patio, he would create something beautiful. No joke. He would weld things together. He'd make couches out of tables. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. Like every once in a while, like one of, the, one of our friends would walk over to our house and be like, "Hey, that looks like my chair." I'm like. It was. <laughs> now it's a coffee mug, right, or whatever, whatever, my, whatever my dad's used it for, right? Like, he, he was able to jump in, right, jump in, pull out stuff, put it together, and make it something beautiful. Here's what Romans eight twenty eight is saying. Every pain, every sorrow, every tear, every comma, every dot, every good, every bad thing that's ever happened in the life of someone who follows Jesus, God is jumping into the mess of your life and what he's coming out with may seem like trash, but in his sovereign plan and redemptive love for you, he's making it good. And he's making it beautiful. When I said Paul begins to, to show how God flexes himself in his sovereignty, that is including your sin, things that you've done, things that have been done against you, successes, failures, every single thing, God is refining it, and he's redeeming it. Um, This in itself, only God can do this. There there are certain things in our stories, right, that we want to forget. We don't want people to bring them up. We don't want to think about it. We don't even know, how could God even allow this to happen to me? And then, in some way, God is saying, for my redemptive purposes, I am going to jump in. I don't care how silly I look. I don't care how messy it is. I know how messy it is. I will enter into the lives of my people, and what I will pull out of their lives is everything for good. Now, you have to ask the question, okay, what is the good? Because what we normally think of good, especially in our culture, is material good, so God's going to, am I going to profit off of this? Like, am I going to make money off of this? No. Is my health going to be better because of it? No, that's not the promise. Here's what the good is. If you continue to read into next week's passage, 29, it says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. The good is that God is making you look like Jesus. The good is that God is making you look like Jesus. And and I love saying that because um, I feel like that's a letdown for us sometimes. I, I feel like when we go, oh, the good, it's going to be good, it's going to be good. It's like, a, it's like a kid on Christmas who's like, oh, I'm so excited. And he rips up the present and he goes, shoes, right? That's what this is? I think sometimes we get to the point where you like, Jesus? Ah, I'm going to look like Jesus. Ah, I was thinking something else. A house, a mansion, something, right? I think about that face. If you guys were following the Olympics, there was that, that ice skater. I think her name was something Wagner. Um, and she didn't get the score she wanted. And they showed her face. She's like, right? It's like... <laughs> Sometimes, sadly, when we hear, and this is what God is doing, you're going to look like Jesus. It's like, right? <laughs> yes. You know what it shows? Sometimes our love for Jesus is not just for him and himself. It's for what he can give us. <laughs> Sometimes we're in it for the, his riches, We're not in it for the relationship. If the person who follows God to the person who follows Jesus, it is your greatest desire to image him to look like him. And the reason why this is good news is it's not something that you have to do in your own strength, it is something that God is doing, that God is weaving together in all the moments of your life to make you look like Jesus you've heard the story before of how this, the silver is made and, and how the refiner sits there and he burns it and burns it and burns it and all the gunk comes up to the top and he scrapes it and he, and he does his process again and again and again until he can look at the silver and see a reflection upon himself that God is actively causing or allowing all things in our life for our good and for his glory that we would be able to look like Jesus. And this is something he does in spite of us but because of his love for us. Not only is God interceding in our mess, but he's taking our mess, good and bad, and he's making you very beautiful, that you would look like your older brother, Jesus. Amen? That he's using it for his own redemptive purposes. And what that means is, is where it brings me comfort. As someone who's gone through stuff that I pray that my kids will never have to go through, is that God's not going to waste it. But there's not anything that's ever happened to you that God's going to waste. How is he going to do it? I don't know. But he's not going to waste it. That no matter what it is that's happened, whatever it will happen, that God's not going to waste it. You don't need to in that moment go, God, don't waste it. You just just trust that he is not going to waste it. He will use it to bring about his redemptive purposes. Let me share with you three biblical stories as we close. Let's show this. That Romans 8.28 comes to life. First is the story of Joseph. Many of you guys know the story of Joseph. Some of you don't know. Joseph was a man who had older brothers who did not like him. He had a dad who favored him, liked him better than all the other brothers. In fact, he brought him this jacket. It was like a bomber jacket. And, um, and, and every, every, everyone, his brothers were jealous because of this jacket, and they didn't like him. And so they did what you naturally do when you like your brother. They, they threw him in a pit so he could be slow, sold into slavery. That's what you do. And so they threw him in this pit, and then a uh, guy comes by and says, oh, you look like a slave. So he takes him out and makes him a slave. He becomes a servant, and while he's in this household, this guy's wife, Potiphar's wife, we don't know her name, they just call her Potiphar's wife, she's very promiscuous, she tries to sleep with Joseph. Joseph says, no, I'm holding myself for marriage, and so he doesn't sleep with her, and then she lies about him and said he tried to rape her, throws him in prison. Now he's in prison. And while in prison, God gives him favor to be able to interpret dreams. So these two guys are sitting there, and they ask Joseph, Joseph, can you interpret our dreams? He says, yes. You, things are going to go really good for you. You, your head's going to get chopped off. Just being honest. It's exactly what happened. Right? Everything happened good for the the one guy. The other guy is gone. And so now Pharaoh hears about this guy who has dreams because he's having dreams. And then Joseph himself interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then he makes him the second person in charge of all of Egypt. Years have gone by. And finally his brothers come because of a famine. They have no idea that they're talking to Joseph. And when that moment happens where they realize this is Joseph, the one who they didn't like because of the bomber jacket, right? The one, the one whom they sold into slavery. They're thinking, he's the second most powerful man in Egypt. He's going to access. And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, there's this beautiful verse where Joseph says, no, 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 it's okay. Um, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Romans 8:28 is about God repurposing the things in your life. <laughs> that he does not use it for its original intended purpose that someone else could have used. But he takes it, and he says he meant it for good to bring about redemption for our people. The, the next story is a story of Esther. And if you've never read the book of Esther, Esther is a, the only book in the Bible where the name of God does not mention, And you have the kind of the main characters. You have Esther, and you have her uncle Mordecai, or a cousin or uncle. We're not really sure. And Mordecai is talking to Esther, and Esther's like, what, do I, what, do I, what should I do? He goes, oh, you should enter this beauty pageant, which seems weird. And he says, but if you win the beauty pageant, then you're going to be married to the king, which seems weird. Um, but that's what they did. That, by the way, is not our discipleship strategy. We don't take the best-looking people and say, "Here's it's how we're going to reach Tempe. You stand here and just tell people about Jesus, and people will come to know the Lord. No, it's weird, right? Esther in itself is a very weird story. But then Esther wins the beauty pageant. She's, she's the most beautiful of all these women. And then, then the king marries her. And then now there's this, this, this hit out on all the Jewish people. And then now, Mordecai goes to his cousin and says, hey, maybe it's just that such a time as this, but this is why God allowed all these things to happen, is that you could speak to your husband so that we don't be killed and so he, God can bring about redemption. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Esther. It's a very unique story. And then lastly, this is my favorite. Suffering is something that's really hard. It's harder for some people than others. Um, the one comfort that I have is I don't know why God allows surfe- suffering. Everyone asks, why does God allow? I, n- I know the result of how it could be good. I don't know the, the why. <laughs> I don't know. And I read the scripture. I don't know the why. But here's what I am comforted with, is if I try to get rid of my belief in God because of it, it doesn't get rid of my suffering. However, I realize that Christianity is the only religion that gives us a God who suffers himself. That Christianity is the only religion where God himself is not exempt from suffering. That God himself, the way that he reaches into the mess of our life is that he puts on flesh in order to suffer with us. And we see what Jesus is able to do is he takes what is the most ugliest symbol in the Roman culture, which is the crucifix, and then he goes to the cross. And then what Satan meant for evil, God ultimately meant for good in order to bring about redemption for every single person who would believe in him. We've all had moments in our moments of suffering where we say, God, can you, can you, will you, why? And we haven't received answers. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's saying, could you take this cup away from me? If there's any other way, no answer. We see Jesus on the cross as he's bleeding out for our sins and the sins of everyone who would believe. And he says, my God, my God, why have you you forsaken me? No answer. God doesn't promise to always give us answers to our prayers. But he does promise to always give us himself. What Jesus said next, he says, I entrust my spirit to you. I trust in your hand that though they meant it for evil, you will use it for good to bring about redemption. The reason why we can trust our entire lives to God is because he has sent his son Jesus. The Romans 26, God interceding for us. Romans 27, him praying a perfect prayer, and Romans 28 of God jumping into the junk of our life and making something good makes the most sense as we look to Jesus, in which God resurrected from the dead. So speaking, he will resurrect our lives too, and that one day, though now we see dimly, then we will see face to face, and we will trust in God's redemptive work in our life and the life of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of the cross. For without that, Father, we do not have a hope for suffering. Lord, without the cross, we do not have a hope of forgiveness or redemption. Without the cross and the resurrection, Father, we do not have a hope of a new life. That this is it. And so we got to make the most out of it. But we thank you for your son, Jesus. Who is not just an example of what happens through redemption, but He Himself is our Redeemer who lifts us up. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who prays in our behalf and intercedes for us in our weakness and our weak moments, Lord, and our addictions and our sufferings, Lord, and our trials and our marriages and our singleness and our lack of understanding and frustration of our now and our uncertainties of our future, that the Spirit prays for us in our weakness, knowing exactly what we need with groanings that are too deep for words, Lord, help us sit in that and rest in that. And we thank you, Father, that you are working all things out for the good for those who love Jesus, that your sovereign hand is involved in our life. God, we thank you that you are not wasting one teardrop, that you are not wasting one success or one failure in the life of those who follow you. Christ, we ask as we even enter into a time of fasting and prayer, that your word would shape us, your spirit would anoint us, and we would have a deep awareness and a keen sense of who you are, God. Make us to desire that good, to look like Jesus, that when you look at us collectively as a church, that you would see a reflection upon yourself and we would reflect that image to the world around us. For those in this room who have never trusted in you, who've never loved God, that they would see it's not so much that you don't love them, Lord, but they, by their own words, have not trusted in you. And that spirit that you would draw them to yourself to see the beauty that's in Christ Jesus and that you would begin the transforming and redeeming grace in their life. God, help us to praise you. God, help us to love you truly. And not just to want things from you, but to want you yourself. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you guys a moment to sit and reflect upon the weaknesses in your life. Where where you can acknowledge those weaknesses, whether it's sin, whether it's just circumstance, whether it's unbelief, and and, and ask God to create grace for his, room for his grace to work. Find out what those weaknesses are, things that you just know I'm weak in this er area, and acknowledge it, and invite God's grace to, to continue the transforming process in your life. And in just a moment, one of the guys will come and lead us in a time of response.